here's what I need you to do. Just take 30 seconds. Say, so for someone, uh, just share with someone who's next to you. Share with them what it is that you've done today or yesterday because the thermometer hit over 50 degrees. Something you haven't done for about two or three months. What did you do today to celebrate this warm weather? Go. <clears throat> okay. A lot of wonderful warm weather activity happening. I was working on the message this morning, and Keith Kress, our drummer, comes in and is full, uh, what's that called, spandex gear. <laughs> Keith was biking for the first time. Who knew that Coach Keith also wore spandex? He does. Wonderful. <laughs> Keith, thanks for visiting the office. That's all I can say. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, hey, if you're joining us today kind of for the first time, we are right in the middle of a, a great series we're calling Harbor 101. And we're just wanting to get back to the basics of the vision and values that God has called us to be, what he's called us to, who he's called us to be, and what he's called us to do. And as far as who he's called us to be, and you can see this articulated on the front page of the bulletin, we feel like he's called us to be a haven for the broken, because that's what Jesus is. Jesus gives mercy when we deserve judgment. When we're broken and messed up, Jesus is a haven, a safe place, and that's what he wants the harbor to be. The other thing that he's called us to be is a launch to the nations. So it's just wonderful having John Favard here. We know that God's heart is for the peoples of the earth. And whether those people are those strange people from Connecticut, right? A few of those here. Connecticut Yankees. Or whether they're people from North Africa where we're headed this summer. God's heart is for the peoples of the earth. And, and, and what the word says in um, Revelation, right? The last book of the Bible, it says that at the end of time, we'll be gathered around him as people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And we just want to be a part of that thing that he's doing, gathering all people to himself to worship him. So we're, we're, a, we're a haven for the broken and a launch to the nations. And now we've started going through, well, what is it that God has called us to do? What is it that God has called us to do. And you see this also articulated on your bulletin. We, we've figured from the scriptures that one of the first things he called us to do is to be loving God. Everyone say loving God. Loving God. The second thing that we feel like he's called us to do, and we're looking at this tonight, is sharing life. Everyone say sharing life. Okay, we need to be sharing life. <clears throat> Speaking of the warm weather, I need to tell you about the summer of 2003. I was finishing my master's degree in Grenoble, France, which was the site of the 1968 Winter Olympics, actually. So a beautiful city, right in the middle of the French Alps, surrounded on three of four directions by incredible mountains. But this summer, for those of you who remember, and I see some folks who have some roots in Italy, if you remember '03, it was a heat wave. A terrible heat wave hit Europe. And so actually... I was living with, um, there's a 80-year-old woman who was used to putting up international students like myself. I was with her, her apartment, about 12 floors up in this beautiful panoramic view. And she said it was the first summer in her life where there was no snow cover on the mountains that we saw around us. And in fact, I would go to bed at night, and in the f cover of night, I would see different fires that had started on the mountainsides. Cause they, just because of the heat, all these fires had started. And it was a battle all summer for the French and for all the Europeans to battle these these fires. But when the heat wave hit its worst, and this is about the middle of August of 03, the heat wave hit terribly, and several, not several thousand people died. 15,000, actually, when they tallied up the number of, of people who had died, it was 15,000 had died because this heat wave hit. And unlike the U.S., France doesn't feel the need to air condition every building. So what it was mostly, it was mostly 15,000 elderly mostly in urban Paris, that perished because of the days that were over 40 degrees Celsius in a row. 
And just like for us, you know, in the U.S., Katrina is kind of an embarrassment to us where some things were revealed to us. You know, the levee wasn't that great. And maybe our, our emergency response wasn't that great. Well, just as, you know, Katrina revealed some things to us, this heat wave revealed to the French people how disconnected, in particular, their elderly were. You know, how is it that 15,000 elderly died because of a heat wave? Were they that connected? And this is in Paris. They weren't in the middle of nowhere. But Parisians, just how were they so disconnected from their family and from their neighbors that they died? And this is a hard thing for France to stomach. It was a wake-up call for the French. And I would assert this evening that also, just as these elderly were uh, allowed to be disconnected from their families and from their friends in such a way that they didn't even know that they'd passed away, so it is important for us to stay connected with other people. We need to share life. We need to remain connected or else we die. It may or may not be physical. A lot of times it's just spiritual, but we die if we're not connected. So we're sharing life. So what I'm asserting tonight also is that sharing life is simply living with others. Everyone say, living with others. Living with others, okay? John next week is going to talk about living for others. But tonight I'm, ta- I'm taking the angle of God, live, of God um, having a shared life by living with others. I want to go to a history book. It's the book of Acts. I just need to set up for you the scripture they're about to read. We're going to Acts 2. If those of you have your Bibles, you want to look, Acts 2, verses 42 and following. But let me set this up for you, speaking of sharing life. What's happening here, this is a history book. Acts was written by the same physician who wrote the book of Luke, and it was had a very methodical way of studying what had happened. So when we look at Luke's story of both Jesus in his Gospel of Luke and then in Acts, in the history of the church, we have a very methodical, well-done, reliable account of what was going on. And at this point in history, it's after Jesus has been resurrected. In fact, some of his friends saw him get taken up back into the clouds. That's how Acts starts, after his resurrection. He's taken up, and what happens is there's a, a traditional Jewish, Jewish festival called Pentecost, just in the regular rhythm of, of Jewish celebrations. And so these friends of Jesus are gathered as all, most, actually all of them were good, good Jewish people, so they are celebrating Pentecost in Jerusalem. And God visits them in a really powerful way. And then what happens is Peter, the very one who denied Jesus a few weeks ago, gets the urge to preach. And Peter explains to all these people who gather in Jerusalem what it is that Jesus had done. He explained in a really clear way. This is why Jesus, you know, this, all these events have been going on. This is why Jesus died. We've seen him raised. And this is God's plan of him revealing his love for you. And when that happened, it says the people were so cut to the quick. The message was so impactful. 3,000 of them came to become the first church. Really, the first set of Christians came together in this time. It was a powerful message. So what's remarkable to me is now we're going to get a snapshot of what that church was like, right? Imagine of all the things that God could have preserved for us, what is the church like? Is he going to say, hey, the church in Jerusalem, the first church ever, it looked like this building, or they sung these hymns. God doesn't mention either of those things. He mentions instead some really wonderful things. Look at what he mentions. Acts 2, 42 and following. This is a snapshot of the church. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And as we read this, I want you to, th- I want you to just look for the words fellowship and the words together. Watch for how they're sharing life, okay? Let me start again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship 
to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together. Everyone say together. And had everything in common. Don't worry, we're not going to go uber socialist tonight. We'll talk about that later. It's a whole other discussion. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together. Everyone say together. There we go. Thank you, everyone. Everyone continued to meet together. Totally lost my place. Great. In the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together. Thank you. With glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Isn't that wonderful that what we have preserved is the church, one of the main things they did, they shared life. They lived life with each other. And that was a main hallmark of what was going on. Very different from your and I, our natural tendencies, which is to kind of be isolated, be independent, don't need your help, thank you very much. But this is a miracle here, that they were living life together. <clears throat> is it any surprise that this is what God would have us do? I think of... <coughs> Um, what Jesus said to the churches later through a man named John. Okay, another quick little history piece. The Apostle John, the follower of Jesus, John, he was the one, the only one who didn't die a martyr's death, except for Judas. Judas hung himself because he felt so bad about turning Jesus in. The other ten disciples, they all died martyr's deaths, either crucified on a cross, burned to the stake, whatnot, because they just believed that they had seen the resurrected Jesus. John gets away with it <laughs> somehow, but he ends up being in prison for a little while. He's in house arrest on an island called Patmos towards the end of his life. He won't die there, but towards the end of his life, he's on this island of Patmos, and he gets a vision, a really powerful vision. And that vision we have recorded at the last book of the New Testament, a book of Revelation. And a part of that vision is John getting a message from Jesus to several of the churches that have been started, right? Church started at Jerusalem. And then the church started to spread like wildfire. And Jesus has a message for seven of these churches in different areas around the Mediterranean. And one message that Jesus had, he's speaking to the church and he says this in Revelation 3.20. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will. Yeah, I'm going to finish it. I will. What I like is, I like, thank you, mother-in-law. She's got the right answer. <laughs> That's why she's right here. Mother-in-law's here making sure I do the right thing. <laughs> Mom's right there. Good. So what does he say? He says, I want to come in and have an awesome prayer meeting. I want to come in and have a Dan Ashley worship session. Not worshiping you, but just led by worship. Okay. What does Jesus say? No, he says, I want to come in and eat with you. I just want to be with you. I want to share life with you. That's going to be our rhythm for the rest of eternity. For those of you in this room who have decided yes to following Christ and knowing him, our rhythm for eternity is knowing him and sharing life. So is it, is it any surprise that when we see the church birthed, we see that birthed in sharing life? It's wonderful, living life with each other. Another personality, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he got a, he got a hold of this idea. He got a hold of this. And Paul was not one of the original with Jesus, but God gets a hold of his life in kind of a radical way. And Paul understands that it's his job to spread this gospel 
around, basically to start other churches, to plant other churches, just like the harbor was planted. So Paul knew he had to plant other churches. And I'm going to assert tonight that Paul's best church planting happened when he got a vision of sharing life, living life with others. Listen to what he wrote to a church in what is now modern-day Greece in Thessaloniki. He writes to the Thessalonians. This is the second church that he planted in Europe, the first one being Philippi. And he has since... Uh, being in Thessaloniki, he's gone down to another city called Ephesus, and he sends people back to Thessaloniki to say, hey, how's church? Tell me something. They, He gets word on how the church is doing, and now he does what they do. They can't text, they can't email, so he sends a letter to the church in Thessaloniki, and this is what he says. He's just, he's just kind of recounting, you know? You know when you have a good time together, and you just talk about it, you tell stories? And so this is what Paul's doing. He's remembering. Remember when I planted that church with you guys? This is what happened. I'm going to start a little bit earlier than there. What do we have up there? First Thessalonians 2.8. I'm going to add, I'm going to start about midway through 6. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you. He means financially. He could have asked for cash. But we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We love you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Because you become so dear to us. Surely remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be burned to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. So Paul understood this. It was not just giving this message, but it was living life with these guys. He worked alongside. We didn't want to be a burden to him. It's wonderful. He shared life with him. I'm just looking right here at Zach, um, who I mentioned earlier with the art. You know, it's always been, I, I get to meet people a lot. I mean, I hang out with people at Starbucks for appointments, and that's wonderful. But can I ask, can I, sorry, ask, I'll tell you. Can I tell you what's way better, you know, worth 10 appointments at Starbucks with people is one incidence of sharing life with people. Kelsey and I, after having been in Chicago with our family, we're driving back. I know Zach lives in Cleveland. And I've got a sneaky plan. And I think, you know what? I'm going to try to live a little bit of life for this guy because I'm trying to get him in. I want to share life. I don't want to just, you know, Zach and I had just met at the end of the last semester. I said, I want to bring this guy in. I want to, I want to bring him in. So Kelsey and I, Kelsey is so great because she lets us visit, visit Cedar Point, um, which is the huge roller coaster in Ohio, like mega roller coaster. I'm like, honey, can we please stop by there? It's like eight at night. And like, the park closes at nine, please. So we get there. <laughs> She's so gracious as we're cruising, you know, down whatever it is, I-90 in Ohio there. And uh, she lets me visit. It's too late, though. I can't go to the big roller coaster because it's getting too close. But then, you know, we continue eastward and we're getting towards Cleveland. I say, honey, you know what? Why don't we just, let's call Zach Attack. And um, Zach and his family being so gracious, they let us stay. And we weren't, we weren't just trying to freeload. We, we were totally... <laughs> We were totally willing to stay in a hotel, but I just thought, hey, here's an opportunity. You know, I know Zach. I want to get him in. Here's how I can not only share this whole story of what we're doing at the harbor. You know, Zach knows Jesus already. But I, I'm just like, let's share life a little, you know. And, you know, hey, it's only 24 hours or 12 hours, really, that we stayed at his house, got to know his parents. But, man, just sharing life was so good. We live life with each other. Everyone say, live life with each other. Living with others. Living with others. That's what we're doing. Okay, how do we do it here at the harbor? How do we do it here at the harbor? One way that we share life by living with others is we do it by engaging in a faith group. Okay, we engage in a faith group. Faith groups are the small groups that we have here at the harbor. And I have to say, my heart's a little bit heavy tonight, and let me tell you why. Because when we started this in January of 08, as far as meeting corporately, right, we started in August of 07, just meeting as a faith group, actually, a small group. 
We start Sunday morning services on January 2008, and you know it's wonderful. When I look at the percentage of people who are with us on Sunday who are also with us in our weeknight faith groups, we're hitting it high. We're like 80, 90, 100% maybe some weeks. But then a wonderful growth spurt happened to us this last August. Boom, our church kind of mushroomed. But what happened to the percentage of people who are involved in our small groups went way down. Now we're running, honestly, we're running about 50%. 50% of you in this room will see it a small group this week. And that makes me super sad. Not just because I want to feel good about numbers we're posting, but it, because you're missing this. A lot of you are missing the sharing life by being in a small group. And that makes me super sad. So let me convince you with a holy number. I know in the um, bulletin there we just have six points. I've actually thought of a seven, so it could be holy. You know, six is such a, um, six is such a human number. <laughs> seven is such a divine number. So I get seven reasons why. You want to be in faith group with us in our weeknights because it's, it's how you live life. It's how you share life with people. It's how we do it here at the harbor. <clears throat> so the first reason that we do faith groups here at the harbor is because we see it as the way to obey the scripture we just read. The way that we obey this Acts 2.42, and, and Liz, you can go ahead and put it. We have a little slice up there, I think. There you go, right? The way that you can be doing this, the way that you can be devoted to teaching and to fellowship, koinonia, the way that you can be devoted to sharing meals with each other and prayer, it works not too good in here, but it works way better in a small group, right? I mean, we are going to share some amazing food here, thanks to Kelsey's family and my family for JD, but a fellowship won't be as sweet as it would be in a small group. Okay, so the first reason is because it's how we obey the scripture. It's how we do the, the breaking bread in their home parts, right? They're in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes. So here we are in the temple court, and we want to be in the homes, and we want you in the homes too. The second reason why we do faith groups here is because it's how we live out all of the one another scriptures, right? The New Testament is full of commands. Love one another. Forgive one another. Bear with one another, Okay? You and I right here, I'm not going to, I don't know, maybe I will irritate you a little bit from up here in the front, but maybe say someone here and someone here, they're not going to irritate each other enough in this setting to really have a chance to forgive each other. But once you get in small group, ooh, after a month, right, the honeymoon's worn off and now you're getting to know each other and that's really irritating when he does that. Why does she say that? Back off, Jack, right? These things, this is what happens in a small group. And honestly, if it's not happening in your small group yet, it will, okay? It will. That's why we do it, because we, in order to do these one another scriptures well, we can only do them uh, in the small group. That's how we go from conflict into intimacy. We get mature because we handle conflict, not just run away from it, ideally. At least that's how it's been on the leadership team, right? Wow. (laughs) We've had a few conflicts. We're coming through loving each other more and more, by God's grace. Cool. Third reason that we do faith groups here at the harbor is for pastoral care. Okay, you remember Moses. Maybe you remember his father-in-law, Jethro. Jethro said, hey, Moses, you're doing too much work because everyone was coming to him for all the judgments in the community. Like, you need to do this, this, and this. You need to, you know, this is your problem, do this. Moses couldn't handle it all. Jethro said, what you need, you need to break it down by tens, fifties, hundreds, thousands. That's another reason we do faith groups. And I have to be a little honest here, too. Can I be honest? Some of you who we don't see that often get a little bit ticked when we're slow on the leadership team to offer you pastoral care. But I just have to say, hey, if we don't know you, it's hard for us to be super responsive, super quick. Whereas if you're regularly involved in faith group, then what happens is you get that pastoral care you need from your faith group leaders. And if it's too hard for them, they talk to their section leaders. And if the section leader is too hard, then they tell us the leadership team. We can help. 
And we want to help. But honestly, if you want the pastoral care that a lot of you are asking for, it's going to happen if you'll show up in a faith group, okay? And, you know, the thing is, you know, you can't all have relationship with Josh and Erica, as wonderful as they are. Who doesn't want to have relationship with the worship pastor and his wife? We all do. But the thing is, Josh and Erica only have so much capacity for loving you. They can handle about a dozen people, and that's it. I mean, I'm just saying. This is a Jesus example, you know? After that, it gets a little watered down. So you need to find your own faith group because we can't all be Josh and Erica's friends as much as we'd like. Okay? Awesome. Fourth reason you want to be in a faith group is because you want to have a safe place where you can develop and walk in all of your spiritual gifts. Right? The, the, the Bible is really clear that each one of you have special gifts, special things you bring to the table. Some of them are more motivational, like things like helps or administration or service or leadership. You know, you should be leading a faith group. That's your gift. And some of them are more gifts that come kind of the, the dynamo, the dynamic gifts that come, you know, the, the whole series that we just finished talking about things that are sometimes hard for us to talk about, like the prophetic and tongues and things like that. The safest place to learn about those things and to walk in them is in the faith group because you got people who love you and know you and you can, you can um, uh, just get good boundaries set. You know, I'm just thinking about John's faith group, the one that he leads on Monday night. They're just having a great time learning about what it is to hear God for each other, like kind of what the prophetic gift is. And they're walking out and it's, it's wonderful. And that's the safe place. That's where it should be, okay? And also here, you know, there's just a few gifts that are highlighted here. You know, a little speaking gift comes out, a little worship gift, and it's great. But for all of you to be walking all the fullness of your gifts, you need to do it in a faith group. Okay? Fifth reason that we do faith groups is because it's a great way for people who might not ever step in the door of a church to get in church. Okay? The, the New Testament is full of Paul saying, hey, greet the church that meets at your house. Okay, greet the church that meets at your house. So it's not an abnormal thing for the church to meet at homes. That's what we're trying to do. And I think for a lot of people, they'd feel a lot more safer. Your neighbors, your coworkers, they're going to feel a lot better about coming to your home. They know you. Um, they might feel safer there. They can ask questions and whatnot. The sixth reason that we do faith groups is because that's how we want to grow. In other words, just like a living cell, a living cell multiplies. And so our little model, and again, it's just a model. It's not the Bible, you know, but it's a model that we believe God's given us for now. But Okay, so Jim and Bonnie and Kelsey and I, we lead a faith group that meets every other Friday night. Ideally, how we want to see this happen is I'm, you know, pretty soon I'm going to see someone who has a leadership gifting. I'm going to make sure to start to spend time with that with that. <coughs> gentlemen, and Kelsey's going to find someone who find, who has a, a leadership gifting. We're going to start to spend time with them outside of the meeting and just say, hey, you know, we see a leadership gifting on you. Would you ever want to consider shepherding a small group of people? We spend time, we talk it through, and our faith keeps getting bigger and bigger. So eventually, because we're getting too big, that intimacy factor, once we get past 12 or 15, that intimacy factor is gone. We need to we need to, we need to multiply like a living cell, and that's, that's our plan. Our plan is that we are going to raise up interns, and then we're going to multiply. One group becomes two, two becomes four, and that's how the church is going to grow. And that's my preferred method for growth, actually. I'm excited about what's going on on Sundays at our big meeting, but I love it when small groups go grow because that means there's life-on-life life stuff is happening. We're growing. Okay, so that's the sixth reason. Pencil and a seven there. I couldn't get my seven in there in time for Sarah to print the bulletin. Fulton, you're too fast for me. Translation, I was <laughs> doing this this morning. Okay, so... <clears throat> The seventh thing is, we're still getting used to this new schedule. Ah, thank you, Lord. <clears throat> seventh thing is, and this gets me really excited, is this is the model. 
that is reproducible in the nations. Okay? When we talk about us being a launch to the nations, we want to see the life of Christ multiply and reproduce. We want to see the church grow in, in other nations. <clears throat> this is the model that works, the, the small group model. In China, right, where they're not allowed to meet publicly. In Yemen right now, okay, the gospel, I don't know if you know this, but in Yemen, there's an incredible move of God. In Iran, right, we don't see it. CNN shows us all this other stuff. But what's going on in Iran today is incredible. There, there are... Um, Great things going on. People are coming to know Jesus. But it's happening because there's small groups of believers meeting because they can't meet publicly because of the persecution. So this is the reproducible model. So I just say, give me anyone who has a leadership gift and let me train them to run a small group and they can take on the world. They don't have to do this because a lot of times this can't happen in other nations. That's another huge reason why we do it. Okay? So sharing life is living with others by engaging in a faith group. Okay? And we've got needs, okay? We, we, um, we need to multiply some of these faith groups because there's, there's, you know, if everyone came, all of our faith groups would have like 25 or 30 people and then we have to multiply real quick. I'm aware of that. And we're trying to train people up as much as we can. But you come and you'll be a part of the, you'll be part of the solution also. I love what John Prickett says. He says, hey, if faith groups lame once or twice in a row, then you become part of the solution. Don't just criticize and be a part of the problem. You know what I'm saying? It takes time for people to get to, to know each other. You know, we're so used to just, I want to get fed and if it's not good, then I'm out of here. You know, really, that's just your insecurity. What you should say is, hey, let me get to walk with these people. Because that's what we're all after. We want all the intimacy. We love the miracle movie. I love it, I guess, because I mention it every time I preach. But, you know, we love Band of Brothers. We love all those. We love it when people get together and do impossible things. you got to give it time for your faith group to turn into Band of Sisters, or whatever you guys, whatever you want it to be. <laughs> it's just going to take some time. And you're going to take some living life together, Okay. Awesome. Hey, why don't you guys stand up? I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. (laughs) I want you to share life by living with others and do it by engaging in a faith group. That's what I want you to do. There's life in it. But before we go there, I just want to share a few words we're gonna, we, we like to respond by worshiping, and I'm going to let John actually share a little bit about our philosophy of how we like to close things here. Before we do, I just want to share some basics about the basic message of why Jesus came to earth. Isaiah 53.6, it's a great little scripture. It's, a, it's um, a prophet in the Old Testament. Years and years before Jesus came, he said this. He said, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him that him being Jesus, the iniquity or the sin of us all. Okay, God put the sin of us on Jesus. Hebrews 9 says that um, just as uh, yeah, man is destined to die once and then face judgment. Okay, I did my first funeral two weeks ago. Just as it says man is destined to die once and then face judgment. I, I honestly, I, I um, saw the man laying in the casket and I said, Lord, I'm, I'm going to be there sometime soon. You know, I, I, I mean, I hope it's not too soon. Just so you know. I feel like time's flying by. And I just, I just looked at the man in the casket and I said, God, you know, I'm, I'm, um, I just want to make sure that I'm right with you. I'll, you know, I, I looked at that and I said, God, that's going to happen sooner than I would wish. I just want to make sure I'm right with you. I know I understand this truth that just as man is destined to die once, then he'll face judgment. 
But the good news about when I face judgment is this. Romans 5.8 says this. says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or another writer put it this way. 1 Peter 3.18, he says, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. It's the whole reason. Right? The whole reason that Jesus died was to bring us to God. But there is a response. You know, when we learn about the cross, we learn about the fact that we can have a relationship with God because of Jesus dying on the cross. There's a response on our, on our side that's needed. And in the book of John, you know, I mentioned the writer John earlier. John 1.12, it says this. It says, yet to all who received him, all who believed on his name, they, gave, they were given the right to be called children of God. And that's what God wants for you and me. He wants us to be his children, and we do it by receiving what he's done in our hearts, just by faith. And so I would just invite anyone today, if you've never done that, if you, if you, um, you know, if you've never asked, if you've never responded to what Jesus has done for you on the cross, then I'd love to pray with you. John would love to pray with you. Maybe someone who's with you, someone who brought you here would love to pray with you, because that's, that's, that's probably one of the reasons they brought you, so you could hear this, this good news. Awesome. John, why don't you just tell us a little bit about this response time we, we enter into here at the end, and uh, then Dash, you can just lead us in some worship. Well, if you've ever been with us here at the harbor, you've noticed that we end our services by worshiping through, through music, but we also always create a space for God to move through one person praying for another person. Um, and although as someone who, you know, preaches from time to time here, it, there's a sense where it can feel good, you know, if some people come up and respond afterwards and that sort of thing. But believe it or not, that's actually not why we're creating a space for people to come forward and receive prayer. There's two reasons mainly. Um, one of them is that it actually goes right along with what Neil's talking about. Um, the Bible refers to those who are following Jesus as the body of Christ. So if you think about that, it's like, whoa, we're the body of Christ. It's like we're Jesus walking on earth, meeting people's needs, touching people's lives, loving people. And so... It's a neat thing when you can get prayer from someone else. It's real easy kind of in our culture. We always want to be so kind of individualized. But there's a sense that God wants to break us out of that and actually meet us in a way where he uses someone else in the body of Christ to pray for us, to speak a word of encouragement over our lives. I didn't come up with it that way. God did. So that's just the way it works. It can Anyway, the other reason is that numerous times in the Bible there's this phrase and it says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble and so what that really means is that you know there's certain people who walk around and say I don't have too many needs and that which I do you know I I can take care of it myself I don't really need help from other people let alone God you know but then there's this humility that God's after which just says I am so in need of help I just need help from God from other people but you know so why not? And so it is something that we do each Sunday. Just wanted to make that clear. Like we want to create a space each and every Sunday evening for those who feel, you know, I have needs. I need help. It might be huge. It might be really small. But why not just get some prayer? Is there's nothing like super duper spiritual going on up here? I just want to kind of break the like, oh, that's only for the super spiritual people or, you know, just it's an opportunity every Sunday to get prayer. Our feelings aren't hurt when people don't come forward, but we feel saddened because there's, this, there's an opportunity for the body of Christ to get to minister to one another. So 
So that's just what we're offering each week as we say that if you want to respond, you can come forward and get prayer. Um, so that'll happen tonight. That's great. Awesome. And so we, we, have these, we have large spaces here off to the side where if you want to come and just pray on your own or if you want to get prayer, you can do that here or just in your, in your seat where you are, ask someone you're with, hey, can we pray? Can we respond in this way? It'd be wonderful. Awesome. You pray with me, Dash. Why don't you give me a little flow and we'll pray and we'll start to worship. <laughs> Dash is the living iPod. It's great. Oh, Lord, we love you. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you that you've called us not to live in isolation because it kills us, Lord. Lord, isolation kills us, especially us North Americans. It just kills us. Lord, there's so many things that go untapped, so many things that go unchallenged in us because we're so used to living in isolation. And um, Lord, we are asking, will you teach us how to share life like the first church did, the early church 2,000 years ago when you showed up in a phenomenal way? The first church was able to share life. They ate, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Awesome things were happening. They shared life. They lived together. And Lord, we just need help in learning how to do it better and better. So we just ask, will you change us? Will you transform us today? And God, I really pray that you would breathe a fresh breath of your life in all of our faith groups, God. Oh, I, Lord, I know it's not a perfect model. I know that it's not always uh, running like it should. But Lord, it's what you've given us for now to see people's needs met, their pastoral needs met. It's what you've given us for now so people be connected, so people can share life. We do it through our faith groups. So a fresh breath of life in our faith groups. Lord, bless our faith group leaders. Give them grace to lead and shepherd more than ever before. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We just honor you. We just honor you, Lord. Be blessed as we worship. Amen. Amen. You just feel free to get prayer. Worship Him.